Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there's Bibles in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you use one of those, it should be on page one thousand two hundred and three is where first Peter is going to be at. And this is our second week in first Peter. We're going to be here up until December, Lord willing. And I want to encourage you as well. Um, uh I know that uh, Chris talked about uh, that church application. Um, one of the resources on there that we're trying to give to you is uh, sermon notes on there as well as small group discussion questions. So in the sermon content there, it's all linked under each message. Um, that's something we started with this series. So if you <clears throat> have an opportunity to get together with even some other friends or as a family uh, and want to discuss further the message for that week, uh, that those resources are there for you. And if you don't want to use the app, that's completely OK. And there's hard copies of that at Centerpoint. OK. So um, we're, we're trying to make both available to you so you're not stuck into one or the other, but we're also just trying to resource you uh, as best as we can so that you together can grow and be equipped uh, to serve the Lord well and know what that looks like. So know that those resources, resources are there for you, and uh, if we can help equip you in any other way, uh, let us know. Uh, we still have a handful of those uh, scripture journals as well. Uh, the first Peter ones I talked about last week. It's got scripture, the, the text on one side and notebook paper on the other. If you would like one of those, um, uh, they're five dollars each and they're available in our office. So know that that's a resource that's available uh, for you as well. Um, first Peter one. And uh, I want us. Uh, to actually, uh, we're going to read, I'm, I'm just going to read First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 3, and I'm going to read through verse 9, and then we're just going to pray and commit this time to the Lord that he would uh, clearly uh, use his word uh, to communicate with us as the church. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, as we look at this letter, Lord, we believe that your word is inspired by you and is profitable for teaching us for rebuking us, for correcting us, for training us in righteousness. Now, we believe that your word is living and active. And so, Father, as we, uh, as we read these words, as we yearn for your spirit to transform our lives, uh, may you help us to be attentive. Attentive to not just what your word says, but <clears throat> what your spirit uh, prompts and convicts and challenges. Lord, we recognize the gift that we've been given in Christ is one of mercy and compassion. And so, Lord, we are asking that you would help us to be a people united in this mission to glorify your name above all else, to care for one another in a way that testifies to the hope that we have. Use this time that we might be better equipped to serve you faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it look like to be hopeful? If we really stop and we think about that, you may actually have different definitions that you would give for that. Depending on the circumstance you're in, depending on the background you've come from, depending on your current present day life and what you have endured in the recent days. It's interesting when we actually step back and define this word, uh, the, the contrasts or the differences between how even our own dictionary defines hope <clears throat> versus how the Bible defines hope. And yet there's a commonality in the sense of uh, whether we're here today in the church or listening to this somewhere or we are uh, someone is in the community uh, in the world, uh, there is an ongoing search for that which would give us hope. And really, at the end of the day, it may even be a search for peace, but we tend to ingrain these things together into the same thing. Now, the, the uh, worldly dictionary would define hope as this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen or a feeling of trust, a want for something to happen or be the case. And we hear that definition. We go, yeah, that's how we use the word. Um, <clears throat> some of you are thinking, I hope we get to go to this restaurant to eat lunch today. Right. Um, some of you are sitting there thinking, I hope uh, Pastor Matt's sermon isn't too long. Right. I I hope that I could achieve these goals in the future. I hope that I have enough saved for retirement. I hope that uh, I'm in a place someday where I can finally rest. 
whatever it is, we say this, and when we say it, we have a very specific meaning behind what we're saying. And really what we're saying is, I can't do anything more than I'm already doing, and so I hope the result turns out the way I would like it to turn out. It's this optimistic kind of expectation that things are going to go the way I would like them to go. Someone asks you a question about plans you've made or things that have come to be, and they ask, well, do you think it'll happen? And you go, I hope so. Now, really, to contrast that with a biblical definition of hope, and what I mean by contrast that is, uh, we talked about this in my Sunday school class this morning, in our English language, when when we say a word or we hear a word, we often associate one singular definition with that word. Uh, Whereas when we open up scripture, that's not always the case. And in fact, many times the words have a range of meaning where depending on the context with which it's spoken, it could be a one to four or five different uh, variations of how we understand that. Uh, It's one of the reasons it's really important we understand scripture in the context that it's written. But a simple range of the word translated hope here in verse three is confident expectation. Confident expectation. Now pause for a minute and just think about the difference between how you and I would use the word hope practically and what the Bible would be saying when it communicates hope. Uh, One is an optimistic desire that things would go the way I want to. The other is a confident expectation that they are going to be. One is kind of a passive, I, I've done everything I can, and so the rest really isn't up to me. The other is a confident assertion that someone else is in control of this. Now, the reason this is really important is because you and I are most prone to look at who God is and look at who we are and seek to interpret that through a lens that we end up making God in our own image rather than reminding ourselves that we're made in his. And as Peter writes here to believers spread all over Asia Minor, what we would call modern day Turkey, he rests his encouragement on a reminder of the living hope that they've been born into. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Confident of this being what delivers, uh, what, what needs delivered across the region that he's writing to. <clears throat> Confident that this is the encouragement that they needed. We would be wise to ask a series of questions. Number one, what is this hope? What is this living hope that Peter writes about to the church? Secondly, how does one attain this hope? If he's writing about a living hope that lasts, surely that's a hope that we should desire. How do we attain that? And thirdly, what is the outcome? What is the result of someone attaining this kind of hope? So those are the three questions we're going to ask today. And as we do, I... My desire is that you would just follow along and see God's word revealing the answers to all three of those questions. Firstly, what is this hope? And as we've already stated, it's clear that this hope is living. Everyone say living. 
Now, what would be the contrast to this? Dead, right? <laughs> dead hope. Uh, the, the easy contrast to a hope that is alive and living is one that is dead and of no value. Now, the question maybe becomes how better asked, how might we characterize these two so that we know the difference? One being living, one being dead. <clears throat> a hope that is living provides influence, value, and comfort as it is alive and active. It's not something that passively sits by idly and does nothing. Uh, it's, it's active, and so we recognize that this is a living thing because of its activity, because of what it has done and what it is doing. A hope that is dead may have once produced these things, but now provides nothing but a memory of what once was. There's a contrast. This living hope has been made alive by what? It makes it very clear. Look at the end of verse 3. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is that this is not a hope that's rooted in some theme that you would see here today, but is rooted in something that has already taken place. Something that's significantly more powerful than anything we would seek to put our hope in here. And in being brought to life, it points to this living inheritance. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, when we stop and we consider <clears throat> the living hope that is offered to us through Christ, it brings us to our second question. How does one attain this hope? Now, practically speaking, uh, these are questions that you and I tend to ask one another. Um, we tend to ask these questions of the Internet. We tend to ask these questions of anything we can find, right? So that somehow, some way, we can step into this and find hope. How does one attain this? Um, I'm curious, though, throughout our life, we hope for a lot of things. What are some generic things that people hope for. Just speak them out right where you're at. What are some generic things that people hope for? Money. What was that? A better life. Health. Peace. Better relationships. Love outside of God. What else? I hope for new shoes. It's true, right? I mean, there's whether it's new shoes or some of you look at your closet of clothes and you go, I have nothing to wear. Right. I mean, it's not really what you're saying. This is nothing, nothing new. 
We, we could answer this question so many ways. A hope for physical health is one I hear all the time. A hope for a loving spouse, a hope for a family of our own someday, a hope for things, houses, cars, possessions, uh, a hope. Here's the other one that's really, really popular. Uh, I hope that I can live a comfortable life. That's really popular in the Western world. And it's easy to see that when we consider a list like this, how detrimental it can be to any semblance of eternal hope. Consider the definition earlier of a biblical definition of hope, a confident expectation, confident expectation. I really I I feel like that's one of those terms that we just need to have written down in front of us and then answer the question, what in your life gives you confident expectation? Because as I, as I look around the room, I know so many circumstances where people have just been dropped from something that they thought was giving them hope, something that temporarily provided hope, something that even gave the semblance of lasting hope, only to find out that it, it wasn't. And so when we stop and we realize that the things that we naturally put our hope in let us down and over and over and over again, we become discouraged and deflated. And you start asking the question even after a while, why, why try? Why try? Or you become pessimistic and all you see is a negative. You become just kind of grouchy. Uh, I'm going to tell you. Family, uh, there's a lot of grouchy Christians in the world. And what Peter is reminding these people who are scattered all over Asia Minor is he's reminding them, if, if you want a short summary, he's reminding them why they have no reason to be grouchy Christians. But in fact, to remind them of a living hope, the living hope that Peter speaks of to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is found only through genuine faith in the one that provides that hope. The only place that this hope is found is through genuine faith in the one who provides it. Now, in speaking that it, it's really simple. Uh, You're looking for living hope, lasting hope. Look for that hope in the one who has promised to give that hope. And yet, we are faced with numerous challenges to that when we go to do that practically. The reality of being born again to a living hope is found through the resurrection of Christ. This is why... Uh, This is one of the many reasons why we should celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every day. Uh, We celebrate it on Easter Sunday. We make a big deal out of it. I love that. It's great. But family, this is something we should celebrate every day. The reason we should celebrate that every day is because it's through the resurrection of Christ that we're given a lasting, living hope. It's only through what Christ has already done. 
It's a work that God in Christ has done. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that if Christ is not raised, it reminds the church in Corinth, if Christ is not raised, Paul writes, uh, we of all people are most to be pitied. Why? Because if Christ is not raised, you and I have no hope. Because our hope rests in the truth that Jesus conquered death itself. And if Jesus conquered even death, why would we doubt that he's the one who offers us life? If you've placed your hope in something dead and are searching for a hope that lasts, the search begins and ends with Jesus. There's a security that is found in our faith when our faith is found in the God of all power and authority. Look at verse five, who by God's power are being guarded. Everyone say guarded. They're guarded for through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, you might read this and you go, well, wait a minute. I thought you just said that it's already been done. Uh, salvation in Christ is an already but not yet reality. What do we mean by that? Well, if we consider the promises of God through Christ. Number one is there is forgiveness from your sin in Christ. Christ died That his blood would cover your sin. That you would be cleansed from unrighteousness and be declared righteous before God. The second promise is for those who believe that Jesus accomplished this work on the cross. There is the offer of eternal life. That eternal life is available through the very one who gave his life for you. The pure and spotless lamb who was without sin. So there's promise of forgiveness. There's promise of of eternal life, salvation in Christ. But it doesn't end there. You see, Jesus rose from the dead, but then he didn't just live on earth. He ascended into heaven, revealing two things. Number one, revealing that he had indeed come down from the glory he had with the Father, which we see in John 17. In order to give his life. And Jesus said. No one takes my life. I willfully give it up. Okay. Jesus said those words. You think that these people are going to take my life? No. I I willfully give myself. For the salvation. Of God's people. Right. But the second thing Jesus' ascension reveals to us. When he went to heaven. Is it revealed. He said to his disciples. I'm going to come back the same way you see me going. There's the not yet. So when we talk about a living hope, the living hope is not, I hope that I'm saved. It shouldn't be. If your faith is rooted in the one who offers eternal life, you have been given a living hope. If your faith is rooted in anything else, You have no living hope. It's it's that easy. If I if I follow Jesus. I've been given a living hope. If I follow anyone else, including yourself. I don't have a living hope. 
does not mean there's not going to be this tension. We've talked about that. This tug of war that takes place between my flesh and the spirit of God. Because Galatians 5 tells us the things of the spirit are against the things of the flesh. There's, there's a tension here. But what is the living hope for if salvation has been achieved in Christ? The living hope is for the promise of eternity with God. The promise that Christ will return. He will make all things new. He will right all wrongs. God is just. He's faithful to his promises. We have no reason to doubt that he will not do exactly as he's promised to do. That is the living hope. And there is security that is found. That in Christ we are guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Romans 8, you could jot that down as a note along with that, talks about the sealing work of the Spirit. That the Holy Spirit works as the seal on our adoption paperwork and now we just wait for the return so that we could be with our Father forever. That's the hope. Hope there is not, well, I kind of hope this is right. I don't have many other options, so I hope this is true. No, biblical hope, this living hope, is a confident expectation that this is not where the story ends. My God's coming back and will make all things new. Verse 8 and 9 give us a picture of this hope-giving faith. What does genuine faith that produces this living hope look like? Verses 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. If hope is simply optimistic thinking towards a desired end, then this kind of faith makes no sense. How could one have cultural hope in this one you have not seen? Biblical faith is a confidence in God's proven faithfulness to his promises. I want to say that again because it's really important. Biblical faith is a confidence in God's proven faithfulness to his promises. Faith comes from recognizing that there is one God and when I step back from my own self... I see clearly a path of faithfulness, grace, mercy, compassion, and justice from the very beginning of creation to the present day. Therefore, my faith is firmly rooted because the object of my faith never changes. The problem comes when you and I are prone to look at what we think God should have promised Or what we think his promises should look like. And we misconstrue what God has already said he has promised. We talked about that a little bit this morning in the misinterpretation of Jeremiah 29.11. Where it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you have heard that verse? Okay, a lot of people have. The problem is, if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 29, it says that Jeremiah is speaking these things to the priests and 
the people who have been exiled at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, God is writing those words, not just to anyone who would read them, but he's writing them to his chosen people, Israel, at a specific time in history that they would be reminded that the promises God made long before they were in exile will still be true and God will finish what he started. That's the level of faithfulness. And the reason that's important is because you and I are really prone to think if God's a loving God and he's a he's a good God, then naturally speaking, he's going to do the things that I think are good, except for the part that we're going to see throughout first Peter, where he says, uh, when you suffer, remember Christ suffered before you. When you face trials, James writes, count it all joy. And you go, well, wait a minute, I thought you were good and I thought you had my in- best interest in mind. Yes, that's why he sent his son to die for us. To give us life and a living, lasting hope and inheritance. Not a temporary one that fades like the rest of the world. <clears throat> we often confuse hope with happiness. Or positive thinking. Genuine faith does not mean the absence of grief. Look at verse 6 with me. Reflecting on this living hope and this lasting inheritance that's been given through Christ. It says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise and glory and honor, recognize this, those good things may not come in your life until Jesus returns. I want you to think about that for a moment. Any element of praise or honor, any of this, okay? The various trials that you have faced that have grieved you, you should rejoice that these trials may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. You may be going through What feels like hell right now. And yet. If your hope is rooted. In that which lasts. Even though you walk through the muck and the mire here family. Trust me when I say. There will be a day for those whose faith in Christ. That is nothing. But glory and honor and praise. To the Lord who has been faithful. He has been faithful before you were in this season. He will be faithful out of this season and into the next. But God's faithfulness. May still look like trial and suffering today. But it is not what lasts. Your comfort on this earth will not last. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but every one of us, if the Lord tarries, will get old and we will die. 
our bodies will slowly fail us. No matter how much faith we have, your earthly body will fail you. So if my hope is in my health, I'm going to be disappointed. Your families will not be here forever. If my hope is rooted in the relationships I have today, those relationships will fail you. There will come a day when you no longer work the job that you have worked. Some of you are in that season and partying it up and you love it. Right? Who are my joyfully retired people in here, right? Yeah, see? (laughs) But here's the thing. If you find your hope and your worth in what you do, there will come a day where they may make you a cake and celebrate you and they will have you replaced to the next day. If your hope is in that, that hope will fail you. This living hope is not the same. In the midst of the storm, understand this. Praising the Lord in the storm does not mean that my feelings will always feel happy or light. Rather, in the midst of the storm, praise comes, rejoicing comes from the one who knows that the storm cannot disrupt what is eternal. The storm cannot take away our God-given inheritance that is given to us in Christ. In verse 7, we see the emphasis on what genuine faith is worth. Genuine faith is worth far more than the purest of refined gold. That the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes. What is it that perishes? The gold. Even though it is tested by fire, heated over and over again to remove the impurities, the gold will cease. A genuine faith is more precious than that. Why? Because genuine faith leads to a living, lasting hope. Genuine faith results in an imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing inheritance. So in all of this, what is the outcome of this hope? What do we see practically if I have faith in God through Christ and understand that my salvation is only through faith? It's a work of God, not a work of myself. What is the outcome of, a, of attaining this born-again living hope that verse 3 talked about? <clears throat> the first thing is rejoicing. This is the result. Over and over, multiple times here, verse 6. In this you rejoice. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. The the rejoicing of God's people should be rooted not in what's happening to me today, but what's promised to us through Christ. So where does this rejoicing come from? First, it comes from recognizing the work that God has already done. We see this in verses three and four. 
as we just saw. It's God who has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not ourselves. When we reflect on what's been given to us in Christ, when we reflect on what God has already done and what he's promised to do, that is where rejoicing comes from. The second is that it comes from remembering the salvation that is yet to come. As we talked about previously, that salvation isn't already but not yet, in that we are saved, secure, guarded by God in Christ. But our salvation is not complete until we're with the Father. That's what we wait for. That's what we long for. That's what Romans 8 says. All creation groans. And we ourselves groan as we wait for the day of redemption. As we wait for the time where God will make everything new, everything right, when the injustice that you've all experienced will be made right again. When we remember that, we should rejoice. And thirdly, rejoicing comes from reminding one another of how the Lord uses the trials that we face. Just like Peter reminds them here, even though you're grieved by various trials, remember these things before. Remember what God has done. Remember what he's promised and remember that he is faithful. We need each other in this family. Now, as I was writing down these applications from the text this week, I sat in my office and I thought, well, wait a minute. This sounds really similar to another passage of scripture. And I, I quickly flipped through my pages of my Bible and read it. And I went, it is, it is. And it's, it's Hebrews chapter 10. And I want us to read this passage be, together out loud because this is an exhortation written to believers. And it just flows. It flows right along in the same way that first Peter writes to the church and exhorts them and challenges them very specifically when it comes to practically what should this look like. So let's let's read this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, let's read it out loud and then we're going to stop and reflect and get ready to take the Lord's Supper together. Here's what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see this, family? The assurance that we're given by God in Christ develops a confidence to come into the presence of God. And with that confidence, the exhortation to hold fast the confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? It is that we are redeemed and secure in Christ alone. 
And then we don't stop there. It doesn't stop with my relationship with the Lord. It goes on to our relationship with one another. Based in this confidence we've been given in God. Based in this living hope that we've been given in Christ. We are to encourage and exhort one another. To love one another. To work together for the glory of God. To meet together and share these things with one another. And this is meant to increase family. It's meant to increase as we see the day of the Lord drawing nearer. May that be true of us. So I ask you in the midst of this. Where is your hope at? In what have you placed your hope for the future? Who do you follow today? The questions you need to ask are these leading to whether my hope is in the only living hope that we've been offered or a dead hope that's masking itself as something that's alive. Now, this is the exact thing that we are called to remember when we step in to take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask the those who are asked to serve communion to come forward at this time. And Jesus exhorted his disciples that they should remember these things. To remember the death of Christ, his, his body, which was given for us, his blood is poured out for sin. Just to remember these things until when? Who knows? Until Christ returns, Right? Why is that so important? Because you and I are really prone to lose sight of our greatest hope. Our greatest hope has nothing to do with this building. Our greatest hope has nothing to do with the amount of people in here. Our greatest hope has nothing to do with how we feel as we come through these doors. Our greatest hope is found in Jesus. It's the only thing that will stand the test of time. So as we pause and reflect, as this is being served and the team's going to play <clears throat> the song Living Hope, I want you to reflect on that and answer the question honestly between you and the Lord, where have you placed your hope? And how has that worked for you? And then to pause and think about why we would Remind one another of this living hope in this way. What is important about this? Father, as we pause to consider these truths and remind both ourselves and one another of the living hope that you have brought about through your son. I pray that you would help us to clearly identify what hinders us from simply walking in faith in Christ. May we turn to you in full assurance, hold fast to these truths, and encourage one another in them. In Jesus' name.